Hear the word of our Lord from the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, beginning in the 19th verse. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love, to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello, everybody. Yes, I am back. Sorry that it has been 18 days since I last uploaded. Uh, I was on a very special trip, seeing about getting uh, uncanceled, so to speak, and praise be to God, that all worked out. Everything is pretty well here. I can't get into the details because I know some people are probably hate listening to this. That's okay. But... Suffice it to say, I win. By the grace of God, I win. So we're good on that. But you know, while I was going on this long driving trip, <laughs> I listened to a very special audiobook called The Pietist Option. Now, this is important because while every now and then a Lutheran, well-meaning, decides they want to get into pietism and find out what is pietism, what is this... What is this thing we sometimes accuse each other of being, and other times we, uh, we hear that that's something you want to be? Well, okay, so I, I decided let's, let's get into some details on pietism here and read what other authors had to say about it. Because I know about the original pietists, like uh, Hage and Spener and uh, Franca and other guys like that, and they were originally 17th century Lutheran thinkers and pastors who they wanted to be what you might call the most consistent of Lutherans. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, when the author of Hebrews says that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting deep right in between your soul and spirit, that tells them that, well, the Bible is more than just information. And when we're told to stir each other up to good works, as we read in Hebrews chapter 10, they think, well, I ought to do that. And we ought to be stirring each other up to good works. Pietists should be all about devotion to God and love for their neighbor. Which is to say nothing other than just consistent Lutheranism. That's what Luther would have told us all to do. That's what the scriptures tell us to do. It is... Here's what the Bible says, this we accept by faith in God. But pietism, it got a bad reputation. After all, I mean, their human nature being what it is, while Spener and Franca and Hage and all these other guys, they might have had this idea that we need to reform the church by having a living, vibrant faith in God that actually, you know, does stuff. 
That was a correction over what they thought of as dry orthodoxy in the Lutheran Church. And this happens everywhere in Christianity. Every time there is uh, some period of dryness, every time there is a period where we're not living up to the ideals espoused in Holy Scripture, there's always going to be a period of Reformation. So we have the actual Reformation starting in 1517. But what happened after the Reformation? Well, more dry orthodoxy. A lot of the state churches in Denmark and Sweden and Finland, they became Lutheran, but they ended up being so intellectual, so liturgical, so high church that you couldn't expect them to really love their neighbor. You couldn't expect people in these churches to really be concerned with the welfare of other Christians. And maybe I'm exaggerating a little, but that's exactly how Spanner talked about it. They talked about it as, we're not really living up to the word of God. It's, it's nice that we're not papists anymore. It's nice that we're not, you know, saying our Hail Marys, thinking that that's what saves us or something like that, or thinking that I'm going to heaven because touching the bones of St. Andrew uh, knocked off 3,000 years off my time in purgatory. It, that's nice. That's good. But what are we doing to love our neighbors? Are we really searching the word of God and letting the word of God transform us the way that it says it will? And they said, well, we're not doing that, so let's start doing it again. So Spenner invents the home Bible study. He has his people actually reading the scriptures on their own and talking about it. They're holding true and fast to the Lutheran confessions, but they're allowing themselves to be to reach almost this fever pitch of good works. And so the cycle happens again. Pietism, which initially started the same way the Reformation did, of, hey, there is something wrong, let us fix it, and things start looking really good, suddenly, pietism kind of gets twisted. Pietism becomes its own form of dry orthodoxy. We have the stereotypes of pietists being these dour unsmiling legalists who just want to beat up on each other. And we get that, unfortunately, and with the stereotypes of, say, the Lystadian Lutherans, who are excruciatingly strict on their people. They're strict. They're harsh. Uh, almost mean they've lost the joy of being Christians, if the stereotypes are to be believed. But that's just it. This happens everywhere. So every t in the church, this cycle of corruption, reformation, and re-corruption, and then re-reformation, this keeps happening over and over and over again. And looking at it, I'm like, okay, as I'm driving, maybe I should go ahead and listen to an audiobook that talks about pietism from maybe a different angle. So I read, uh, or I listen to a book called The Pietist Option, Hope for the Renewal of Christianity, by two authors, Christoph Gers and Mark Patty III. Now, it's called The Pietist Option, I think, because it's kind of a, a response book to Rod Dreher's The Benedict Option. Now, we all know about The Benedict Option, Benedict Option being 
separate, divorce yourselves from the world, and form Christian communities that take care of each other because this world is irredeemable. That's more or less true, but Dreer was saying, yeah, we need to separate, 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 separate. We can't fix this. Christopher Gers and Mark Patty III, never going to get over how silly their last names are, but their approach and their response was, well, we don't need the Benedict option. In fact, they don't even mention the Benedict option. We need the pietist option for the renewal of Christianity. Dreary, he's just wrong. What we need is good old-fashioned pietism. And as I'm listening to this book, it takes about five minutes before my heart just sinks into my feet in disappointment at what I'm hearing. I'm expecting Lutheran orthodoxy charged up and empowered by the word of God. I am expecting urging people to good works. I'm expecting that truism that Luther talks about of, hey, don't worry about reason. Don't worry about why we do good works. Worry about the fact that we got to do them. (laughs) It's not what saves us, but we still got to do them. And if you ask why, the answer is God said so. The end, here's how we do this. Here's how we encourage churches to do it. That's not what I got. The very beginning of the book, what does it say? I understand that I have privilege as a white man. Oh no. And it goes on to say, I understand that the black communities are suffering from police killings and murder all over the place. And we as Christians need to be sensitive to that. Oh crap. So I get worried. I'm thinking maybe, maybe, maybe the rest of the book isn't this way. Maybe this is just an attempt at uh, at trying to not get canceled for writing something so spicy as to say that pietism is good when usually it gets panned everywhere. But no, oh no. That first chapter just keeps going on and on and on. Uh, Christopher Gares and Mark Patty III, they decide to chastise Christians by saying how shameful it is that 80% of evangelicals in 2017, according to Pew Research, said that uh, terrorism was their number one priority for the United States government. They said this was cowardly, this was bad. How dare you want safety from terrorists? How dare you reject immigration, you stinky coward? Because you need to check your privilege. The Christian church isn't about just loving your neighbor and loving God even more. No, it's about reaching out to immigrants. Mm. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, I realized as I'm listening to this audiobook, this is a liberal book. But I decided to charge on. Because, you know, my, my good buddy Miles Poland says that, you know, there's times in which you put a little bit of poop into a glass of wine. You're going to find that it ruins the whole thing. You're not going to drink a glass of wine, even if there's only one teeny tiny little speck of poop in it. This book, this book is not a glass of wine with a speck of poop in it. 
this book is a gigantic pile of dog turds that somebody took a like a little uh, water dropper and like put a few drops of wine. But I want to look at the wine. I want to see where the wine is in this. Because they're talking about how, oh, this is... This is very similar to, and we want to talk about um, Pia Desideria, the Spenner's 1675 classic. And we want to talk about Franca did, and we want to talk about all this. So I figured, okay, let me listen to this further. Not only for you guys listening, but to talk about, hey, what wine is there here? Maybe I can learn a little bit in spite of the poop everywhere around this book. And I regret it. I don't regret it because I get to talk to you guys about it, but I regret having had to listen to it. I could have just read an outline of it. But oh boy. So they talk about humility in other chapters. How the pietist has to be humble. Okay, fine. They talk about the, the trouble with dry orthodoxy, and I agree with them. There needs to be a real orthodoxy and a living orthodoxy. Small O, not Eastern Orthodoxy, but the kind of Orthodoxy that says, we believe what we're saying, and by the way, we mean it. And here's all the documents, here's our confessions that we believe. I suspect that um, Gerds and Patty Third here are talking about that at first, but no, they get into the problem of dry Orthodoxy, and they start talking about the problem of Orthodoxy itself. Let me explain. They said that uh, we need to not be heresy hunters. We need to not be guarding the truth so securely. In fact, we need to have people from radically different perspectives and points of view in order to have a well-rounded understanding of everything. Mm. So, okay, what does that look like in your mind? Maybe that looks like a, a Lutheran church having a Bible study and they invite the local Anglican to hear about Calvinism. Or you invite your, your Methodist friend who's all about free will. You invite your Baptist friend who gets angry at the fact that y'all are drinking German beer during a Bible study or something when he doesn't want to drink any beer. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe that is the what they're getting at, right? wrong. Uh Uh-uh. See, these guys go to a a Bethel University, and they brag, they brag about inviting Muslims to their studies. Mm. Muslims and Jews and uh, other hyper-liberal Christians. That is to say, they're not inviting people from different denominational understandings. They're not even talking about heterodoxy. They're not talking about inviting the local Catholic priest to talk about, here's how you do Lectio Divina. No, they are talking non-Christians. They're talking about complete unbelievers here, people who hate Christ, formal heretics. That's their idea of what they think the pietist open mind would be in avoiding dry orthodoxy. Which they say over and over again, you don't sacrifice real doctrine. You don't sacrifice doctrine ever. Uh, 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 uh. You just don't talk about it. And you, um, you don't fight for real doctrine. And we're, we're pietists 
that, uh, that are all about devotion to God and devotion to his word and avoiding sin and doing good works instead. But by the way, we need to shut up and listen. Suddenly now we're listening to a book, The Pietist Option by Christopher Gares and Mark Patty III, that is not pietist at all. If they took their book, they went back in time and they went to Spener and said, this is what pietism is in 2017. Spener would read it. And if he didn't have a heart attack, he might get violent with these men. Here's an example. Last chapter of the book. They spend, as I'm, I'm hoping to listen to this last chapter and thinking, okay, maybe here is the good stuff. Maybe finally they're going to get into the good stuff about uh, here's the summary of what pietism is and here's how you do pietism. No, they spend 15 minutes talking about why the culture war is something we shouldn't be fighting and why we need to shut up and listen when gay people talk to us. And they have this illustration of a, a Christian man, faithfully Christian man, whose son is a homosexual. And the homosexual son, um, well, tells him, I don't need to hear from you about your opinions because I know what they are, okay? I know what your opinions are of me, dad. But could you help me move? And the dad agrees. They drive and they drive and they drive. And this dad, uh, listening to Christopher Gares and Mark Patty III, listening to them talk, they tell him to shut his stinking, dirty, cowardly, evangelical, orthodox mouth and just listen to their gay son. And after a whole road trip... And years afterwards, the gay son said, Dad, I think you love me again. I love this so much. But he didn't drop his homosexuality. He doesn't think it's a sin. He knows his dad feels that way because, well, before his dad was told to shut up, roll over, and die, his, uh, he, well, he had informed him, hey, homosexuality is a sin. I don't want to see my son destroy himself. But the pietist option here offered in this last chapter is to just shut up, be quiet, and listen. And, well, these days, I think you and I understand what that means for Christianity, society-wise. What pietism, according to Gers and Patty, would really mean. It means shut up and die. I was fuming angry listening to this book. Shut up and die. Let them rape your kids. Let them force transgenderism on them. Let, don't, don't speak up. Or else that Muslim who's killing your wife, <laughs> that immigrant who's decided he's going to do a violent machete attack in the town square, he might feel bad. D but don't say anything. Don't do anything. Don't be anything. That's for your private belief, and that's for something you bring up in Bible study. Oh, and they promise they don't sacrifice orthodoxy. They, don't, they promise they don't sacrifice Christian conviction. But listen to atheists and Muslims and formal heretics and never, ever, ever counter-signal them and don't proclaim the truth. And as I'm going through this and I'm, I'm listening to this book, I'm asking myself, how on earth could such a disgusting dog turd enter into my ears? How could something like this be written that pays homage to these uh, these great pietist thinkers but then pisses all over everything that they believed this isn't pietism and i'm asking myself this in it over and over and over again this is several hours that i'm listening to this and just asking myself how do you get to that point 
And then it hit me. As I'm listening to it, I catch a little detail here. They're Baptists. They're not confessional Lutherans. In fact, you might even say that they're not actually pietists because pietism is a Lutheran thing and these are not Lutherans. Why is that important? Well, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 10 here and find out what the author of Hebrews says. And this is very, very important from the very beginning of our recording. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 let us hold fast the confession of our hope, or the confession of our faith, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Sounds pretty important, right? But what's the confession? You could say it's the gospel. Sure. But where, what gospel? Whose gospel? What kind of gospel? How do you articulate that gospel? For the Lutheran, we understand what our confession of faith is. It's the Augsburg Confession. Even if you took the rest of the Book of Concord out, and all you had was the three ecumenical creeds, the small and large catechisms, and the Augsburg Confession, you still have a solid confession of faith. And by all means, as a guy who's doing an audiobook of the formula of Concord, please don't throw that away, but even if you didn't have that, you still have the Augsburg Confession, and that is foundational. A Lutheran can say, this is what I confess. This is what makes me Lutheran. And by the way, it's all centered around the gospel. That Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, became man, taking on a human nature, and died to pay the penalty for my sins. Through his life death, and resurrection, I am saved as a baptized believer. These guys, Gertz and Patty III, they don't have that. In fact, they specifically, and this is when it hit me, they specifically said they are a non-creedal form of Baptists. They're part of the Converge network. Converge worldwide or something like that. And Converge is basically a a Baptist super pack where a lot of their churches get together and they have like five principles, I guess, that they hold to. But so long as you don't violate those five overarching undefined principles, everything else is permitted. So Gertz and Patty the Third here are doing pietism without a confession of faith. What does that mean? Well, pietism is not supposed to exist in a vacuum. If you are a pietist Lutheran, you are somebody who is devotional, somebody who is dedicated to doing good works within the context of a broader confession of faith. You have a foundation that tells you this is what you're devoted to. The Pietist Option as a book is written by men that have no such border. They have no such structure. So they are... They're really devoted and they're really dedicated to something. They couldn't tell you what it is. They just read some cool shit from Spenner. They just read some cool stuff from Franca. And that's it. <laughs> and they thought, wow, I want to do that. But um, I'm going to be really devoted now to something. 
And so they have this vacuum. This terrible vacuum. What is that? What go, Nature hates a vacuum. Especially doctrine. Doctrine hates a vacuum. you got to fill it with something. And what are they going to fill it with? Hmm. I wonder. Oh, worldliness. Mm-hmm. Worldly morality. Checking your white privilege. Embracing CRT. Talking about cop killings and fighting for immigration. And doing the bad kind of religious ecumenism. Where it's not Christians getting along to, to you know, reach a common goal of any sort. Uh-uh. No, no. See, I know Lutherans don't get along well with other denominations. But at the very least, if we want to work with the local uh, Anglican church to, you know, give some food to the poor, we can. That's good ecumenism. Bad ecumenism is, I don't care what I believe and I'm willing to sacrifice it on the altar of tolerance. That's these guys. That's what being converged Baptists has gotten them. Because all they know is, I like the Bible... I love that the Bible means what I want it to. And I'm really, really, really devoted to something. That's what the pietist option ended up being. Now, I could I could go on about this. I tried to record on the road, but y'all would have absolutely hated the garbage audio quality of me driving in a cargo van, <laughs> all echoey and stuff, listening to car horns blare in traffic and stuff. But at the end of the day, what was the point of all this? Pietism shouldn't be thrown out the window. But these guys are hurting what real pietism is. They, it, it's a good thing to be dedicated to the scriptures. It's a good thing to be a rigorist as a Lutheran Christian. Or even if you're, I don't know, a 1689 Baptist with a real confession of faith. Or if you're a Presbyterian that loves the Westminster Confession of Faith. At least you have a foundation behind that that you can say, Great, this is me. And I'm going to be devoted to God within these boundaries that define what I am as a Lutheran, Presbyterian, Methodist, or 1689 Baptist. Whatever you are. You at least have a structure that says, I'm not going to get carried away by all the doctrines and turnings and twistings of the world. If you don't have that, what are you going to be? What confession are you holding fast to? You aren't. So you're going to end up following whatever the world tells you to fall. You're going to follow whatever they tell you to follow, and you're going to end up being a tool of the devil just as Gertz and Patty Third are. They didn't mention the gospel with any sort of substance in this entire book. They didn't. They paid a little bit of homage to sola fide in order to say, yeah, but it's still okay to do good works. But they didn't say what your Savior did for you. And why, through the new obedience, we do good works as Christians. They didn't get to the heart of that. They just said, just do it. Because immigrants or something. That's bad. And it takes me off because somebody, one of our guys out there, is going to go, oh man, pietism, what's pietism? This sounds pretty based. They start reading up and listening to all these guys that are from 400, 500 years ago, and they're like, oh man, I want to be a part of this. So they go to the church that claims to be pietist, and it turns out to be something made in the image of Gerds and Patty the Third, And they're going to throw it all away. 
Or maybe they'll be reading up on it and they, they get interested in finally going to a church because they want a church that means what it says. They want a pastor who preaches the word of God and means it. So they look up pietism and what do they get? They get the pietist option. This garbage book that I put myself through. It's stupid. They're going to throw it all away and they're going, maybe I'll go back to being a pagan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Friggin' awful. Now, that said, this isn't a commercial, by the way, for the Benedict option. I'm not a big fan of Dreer for the sole fact that anybody that actually takes the Benedict option is just saying, yes, please assault me with mortar shells from afar. Please Waco me or do the spiritual version of Wacoing me and my people. Christians do need to have an aggressive orthodoxy. That's why I like real pietism. Because real pietism does get out there and engage and win territory for our Lord. The Benedict option doesn't. It just it just kind of tells you to sit there and let them corrupt your kids. Or, like, say you even have a homeschooling network. Suddenly the, the neighboring lady, the cat lady that hates your guts, for one reason or another. Maybe your wife wears dresses and she thinks that's sexism. She calls CPS on you and your kids get taken away because you're just so traditional. And because you were doing the Benedict option for 30 years, you don't have any way to defend against that. And you weren't winning any territory for the Lord. You kind of got what, you, what was coming to you because of that. So Benedict option is a no-go in my opinion. But this pietist option, as Gers and Patty Third are talking about it, it's poisonous. It's just a book that tells Christians to roll over and die, but think they're devout. It's David French, but pietist. <laughs> it's not even actually pietist. It's just be David French. Go be David French and die and like laugh at people for having real beliefs. Screw that. But until then, guys, please, whether you are Lutheran like myself, confessionally Lutheran, or whether you are uh, Baptist, or whether you're Presbyterian, or whatever you are, ask your pastor, can I have a copy of our actual defining documents? What makes us us and not someone else? Talk to them about it. Read up on it. If you're going to do pietism and really, really get devoted, as Spanner did, as these other guys did, that's great. Read the Pia Desideria. That sounds great. But know what the foundation and the structure is. So that our orthodoxy, small o orthodoxy, isn't dry. But instead orthodoxy contributes to a living and loving and solid faith. Amen and amen.